0: Well, turn in your Bibles with me once again this morning to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts as we continue our study of this uh, book, this history book that uh, Dr. Luke has written for us and that God in His providence and by His Spirit has preserved for us these many generations. We've made it through a good chunk of this book, finding ourselves this morning at the end of chapter 9. And if you think back to where we've been in this story of Acts, this has been a pretty good story. I mean, it's got all the necessary elements that would grip us, that should grip us. If you've been here for any part of this study, you've seen that there's been suspense Followed by this incredible display of power as God's people, as the followers of Jesus, wait on Him as He instructed at the beginning of the book. And the Spirit of God comes in fire and in wind. There's been drama as the devout disciple Stephen is killed as Jesus' followers... Fear for their lives and flee Jerusalem. There's been interesting characters, interesting stories. We looked at Simon the Magician, Philip, and the Ethiopian eunuch. And then last week, the taming, we might say, of Saul the Persecutor. But of course, in thinking about how engaging the book of Acts has been in this story, this history, we know that Luke is not writing a novel for us. He is conveying truth, not just dry history even, but truth for us to engage and to live by. Ultimately, he is revealing for God's people this mystery that has been hidden for ages, for centuries, that, and that is this, that through the Savior Jesus, God is calling a people from every tribe, tongue. And nation to himself. A people that he will set apart and a people destined for life in the kingdom with his son. Well, this morning, as we get to the end of chapter 9, Luke draws our attention again, I think, to that end game, to that big picture through these travels and experiences of the Apostle Peter. And so listen as I read chapter 9, verses 32 through the end of the chapter, uh, picking up where we left off from last week. Starting at verse 32 of chapter 9. Now as Peter went here and there among them, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity, and in those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her gave her His hand and raised her up, and then calling the saints and widows, He presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And He stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the Word of the Lord. Well, being at the stage of life that I am, I don't go to a lot of movies uh, in the movie theater. But it seems like every time I do return to the movie theater, which is every so often with my kids usually, it seems like, it seems like anyway, that there are more and more previews. That it takes longer to get to the actual movie. And I recognize that in some ways, Previews are necessary. They're necessary to spread the buzz about new blockbusters that are headed our way. But I want to just tell you publicly, I don't like it. I've arrived early to see a specific movie, not scenes from another movie that I may or may not see. You know that previews were actually, they're often called movie trailers, and the reason they're called movie trailers is because a long time ago they used to be at the end of movies, but uh, that didn't work because people like me would leave at the end of the movie that they had come to see and walk out of the theater before the trailers begin, and so they moved the trailers to the beginning and made them previews, but we still kind of call them trailers as if they're at the end of the movie. And then how many movies have you gone to after seeing a trailer or seeing a preview, and all the good scenes and all the good moments in the movie were in the preview? I could have saved the $12, I could have saved the hour and 47 minutes that it took to watch the rest of the movie. You see, this whole trailer preview thing, I think, is out of hand. I mean, we've even got teaser trailers now, which is like the preview of the preview. And we we don't even have trailers for just movies, but we have trailers for video games now. And we have trailers for even books out there. Well, that's my rant about trailers, about previews. Whether you like Movie trailers, whether you like movie previews or not, this is for certain, and I'll acknowledge this, is that they do build anticipation for what is to come. They do do that. These two stories before us today in Acts chapter 9 are not random events. Luke's just sitting there trying to remember what happened in the early church, oh yeah, that happened with Peter. These are not just random events so that we can say, yay, Peter! And then move on. Now these are not random acts of kindness, but these, we might say, are kingdom previews. They're kingdom preludes. They give us a glimpse of what's coming. They tell us what's happening now. The way I want to go about this this morning as we think through these two miracles, these two events in the life of Peter, is to organize our understanding of what's happening here around just one truth. So in a sense, we have just one point, but I want to dissect it in three different ways. Luke wants us, I think, to see some of the trees in these two stories, but more important than that, I think Luke wants us to see the forest if you're familiar with that idiom. And the one truth that I want to pick apart for the next few minutes as we walk through this passage is this. Jesus brings healing to the nations. Jesus brings healing to the nations. Now let's talk about what I mean by that phrase, what God's Word means by that phrase, and unpack it little by little. First of all, just looking at the first two words. That phrase, Jesus brings. Jesus brings. As we come to this part of the book of Acts, there is another slight shift in focus. If you think back to the last few chapters, we've gone from Stephen to Saul to Philip to back to Saul, and now to Peter. Someone that we haven't heard from since before the account of Stephen. Stephen. Luke has taken us all around the region surrounding Jerusalem to one, to show us the expanse of the Gospel and God's kingdom and Jesus' kingdom and this movement that Jesus has created. And we'll get to that in a moment. But he also wants to remind us of the fact that all these guys doing all this different work in all these different places that there's one thing that holds them all together, that gels them all together, and that is this. It's not about them. It's about what Jesus is doing. Jesus, the risen Jesus, who died, who is no longer on earth, but who sits at the right hand, He is the one working here. Jesus is the one working here in Acts chapter 9 and Luke shows us this through these two miracles through these two miracles in two different cities first of all what we see is we see the example of Jesus and the power of the example of Jesus that leads us to the fact that Jesus is the one that is bringing healing if you think about what Paul or excuse me what Peter is doing here in these two miracles, here in these two instances. The miracles themselves are not really hard to understand. The stories themselves are not really hard to follow. But what you need to see, what I want you to see, is that what Peter does here in Acts chapter 9 is very reminiscent of another. Traveling through the countryside, no doubt giving authority to the words that he is speaking, Peter is reflecting Jesus here. He's following in the footsteps of his Lord and Savior. He's carrying on the example that he has seen. Jesus has prepared the ground. Jesus Himself has become the cornerstone. And now the apostles are laying the foundation of the church. Think for a moment just how similar Those of you who know the Scriptures, those of you who know the Gospels and are familiar with the teachings and the actions of Jesus, think how familiar this first story, the story of Aeneas is with Jesus and the invalid of 38 years in John chapter 5. If you were to flip back to John chapter 5, which you don't need to do, but you can do, there Jesus says to the invalid who's been a cripple for 38 years, He says, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And he walks. And Peter here says, Rise and make your bed. And he walks. And then there's Tabitha, Tabitha, a woman who reminds us of a younger girl in Jesus' day. Do you remember Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5? This was a similar scene. It was actually a scene that Peter himself was with Jesus on. People were weeping. People were distraught in both cases. Jesus is summoned. Peter is summoned. Peter does the same thing Jesus did. He comes into the house and he tells everyone to leave the room. And then, in a very interesting parallel, Peter says, Tabitha, or Tabitha, kum, which is Aramaic for Tabitha, rise. And Jesus' words to Jairus' daughter were, Talitha cum, little girl, rise. The difference of one letter. You see, Luke does not want us to miss the fact that what Peter is doing here in Lydda and Joppa is simply a continuation following in the example of the Savior whom He walked with, who He loves, who He serves, who He is now being poured out for. And even more than this being a simple legacy of Jesus as His disciples walk in His example, no, this is actually Jesus and His power accomplishing these things. And that's why we can say it in the present tense. Jesus brings healing. He is the one doing that now. The key phrase that I left out in Peter's instruction to Aeneas was, Jesus Christ heals you. So rise and make your bed. And the crucial moment that I left out of Peter's instructions to Tabitha, this woman who is dead, he's speaking to a dead person, is when Peter clears the room, gets down on his knees, and in absolute dependence to the Father, cries out for Jesus' power to come down. And what faith it must have taken for Peter to be assured that Jesus' power would come and raise this woman from the dead. You see, Jesus brings healing to the nations. And because it's Jesus, this first part of the phrase that we're looking at, because it's Jesus, the people turn not to Peter, they turn to the Lord, verse 35. They believe in the Lord, verse 32. And that reminds us of Acts chapter 3, verse 12, when Peter healed the lame beggar and he says, why do you stare at us as if we did this? It's through faith in Jesus that this man has health. Peter wasn't interested in praise because he knew he deserved none. The point of these miracles was to point to Jesus. To Jesus' example. To Jesus' power. So that's the first phrase. Jesus brings. But let's add another phrase. Jesus brings healing. Jesus brings healing healing. Now if we think about that word, if we just think about the word health, that's one of the fundamental concerns. Be you a follower of Jesus or not, that's one of the fundamental concerns of humanity is we don't want to feel our frailty. We don't want to suffer. We want to be whole. You can't go one day in this nation without hearing the word health care. But there's something much more important going on in regards to healing than simply physical healing in the lives of two individuals in the ancient world. I mean, is the point, is Luke's point, is Peter's point, just to make these two people's lives a bit better? I think the answer is yes and no. And there's no doubt that these healings in the name of Jesus, that they express, that they reflect Jesus' heart. His compassion over those who can't help themselves. But there's so much more here because that's not just the kind of healing that Jesus comes to bring. These two miracles are meant to be for us signs pictures of a greater healing, a spiritual healing, and a spiritual wholeness that is still to come. You see, it's interesting, again, in, in Luke's use of words, that in both miracles here, Peter uses the same word. Rise in verse 34 and arise in verse 40. It's the same word that God uses to describe Jesus rising from the dead. These two miracles are intri- intricately connected with the resurrection of Jesus and the new life that Jesus brings to those who look to Him. And we read passages like this and we're immediately, I think some of us, at least in the church, we're bent to think about, man, what, well, can we do this kind of stuff? Does this kind of power flow to us? Is the gift of healing still available for those who minister in Christ's name? when that's not where the focus of this passage needs to be. Jesus brings healing. Jesus brings health. It's so much greater than what we see here. What we see here is is temporary. Aeneas may get sick again tomorrow, and may be again confined to a bed. Tabitha will eventually die again. And when she does, Peter won't be there. But Jesus will be. See, these miracles, these great miracles, which drastically change people's lives for a time, they long for something greater. They long for something greater. And that's a good place for us to just to stop and to ask, how do these miracles, how do these stories of restoration, of not just physical healing, but pictures of greater healing, of spiritual healing, of wholeness to come, how does that apply to us? Well, I think one of the ways is for us to ask, who are we in the story like I said, so much of the time we want to think, well, could we be Peter in this story? When we're not Peter at all. We're Aeneas. We're Tabitha. We are the helpless ones. We are the ones that aren't even seeking any kind of healing. Verse 33 says that Peter is the one who found Aeneas. And Tabitha, well, Tabitha wasn't calling out for help. It's a reminder for us, friends, that that is just how God's grace has come to us. It's just how God's grace has come to you. It's a reminder that you can't save yourself, but you can be saved by One who has set His sights upon you. And just like some of the truth that we looked at in the last couple weeks, God is not looking for those who are worthy. God is not looking for those who are deserving. Sure, the the, the Scripture tells us here that Tabitha was one who was full of good works and charity, that she was mourned by many whose lives that she had touched, but that's not why she was healed. Certainly not why Aeneas was healed. If we think about Aeneas, we don't know anything about him, but what we do know is that he was pretty much Helpless. And altogether useless as He remained in His bed for these many years. You see, these two miracles which point us to greater healing, which point us to Jesus bringing that healing, remind us that we can't do salvation on our own. And it's not to say, don't hear me saying this morning, that Jesus can't and won't physically heal us at times in ways that are contrary to natural science. I believe He does. I believe He does. He loves His children. He loves for them to feel whole. But the physical healing is not the end of the story here. It's just the beginning of the story. It's just the tip of the iceberg. See, these miracles this morning, as you hear them, as you digest God's Word, they don't invite you to do anything. They simply encourage you to be in awe of what's been done for you. In fact, in a sense, these two signs they speak to, I think, two distinct groups of people that we have maybe in this room, certainly in our world. We could say that Aeneas reminds believers, those who are tempted to, to try to get up and, and walk and, and earn God's favor and do what's worthy, to not even try. Because that's not why Aeneas was restored. And we could say that Tabitha speaks to those who are here this morning who are unbelievers, those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, and her healing says to you, there is only one voice that can make you alive. And it's the voice that's been speaking to you this morning. Through this Word, and through the songs that we've sung, and the prayers that we've said the voice that brought you here this morning the voice of jesus the voice of jesus who brings healing who is still bringing healing to the nations and that brings us to i think the last part of the point of this passage and that that is the nations We've looked at the fact that this is Jesus. We've looked at the fact of what this healing is and what it represents and what it points us to. But then there is this theme that we've seen already again and again in the book of Acts. You notice how important geography has been to to Dr. Luke as he has recorded history. He's dropping city names and regions and towns all over the place. And here we are in the town of Lydda, which is this town upon this important trade route in Judea, and Joppa, a coastal town that was a major seaport in the ancient world. Both towns were a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Those who were on the fringes of Israel, we might say, not quite in, not quite living in Jerusalem, but not quite out like the Ethiopian. And yet to their ears and to their eyes, the message of the gospel, accompanied by signs and wonders which spoke of something greater and spoke of authority they had never seen, was sweet to them. And so Luke is reminding us once again that Jesus brings healing, yes, but he's reminding us that it's going to the nations and it's rippling out, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, we've seen a glimpse of it all. And there's one guy that all these ripples are a bit of a struggle for. And it's the main character of this text this morning. You see, for Peter, this, this wasn't an easy pill to swallow. The fact that Jesus was bringing healing To the nations. As one commentator wrote, Peter, like many Jews before him and like him, were raised in an air of a strong strong tradition of prejudice. It was just the air, the Jewish air that Peter breathed. Remember Jonah? How much he... Did not want to go to Nineveh, how much he despised their repentance. And now Peter is being taught, he's being primed, he's being prepared by Jesus Himself as He does His work through Him that there's something coming. You began in Jerusalem. Now here you are in this mixed, in these mixed cities of Jew and Gentile. These cities that serve as a bridge of sorts for, for his thinking. Because the fact of the matter is, next week Peter's world is about to get rocked. As Jesus opens up a whole new vista for him of his purposes here on earth. and so. God is priming Peter's pump here for chapter 10 and for his interaction with Cornelius. And how do we know that? Not just because it's right before chapter 10, but because of this little interesting detail at the end of this passage. Verse 43, And he stayed in Joppa for many days with Simon the tanner kind of an interesting, feels-unnecessary detail for us to know. Who cares where Peter is staying? Well, it matters because Peter is starting to get it. He's softening to the idea of what God's doing in the world. And the reason we know that is because Simon the tanner was unclean. You see, the rabbis of ancient... Israel had taken God's prohibition and um, declaration that one who touched a dead body was unclean, and they had extended that to anyone who had contact, particularly constant contact with dead animals, that they too were to be unclean. That they too were to be avoided. Certainly don't stay with them for several days. And yet here is Peter the Jew, naturally prejudiced and God is working on his heart, God is softening his heart, getting the message across that Peter, I came to heal the nations and I'm sure that this was simultaneously exciting but probably mostly scary for Peter and likely not one bit comfortable. And yet, it's what the Lord called him to do. And it's a reminder for us that it's the calling that we have received as the church to take this message that Jesus brings healing to the nations wherever he leads, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how outside our own thinking. I mean, Peter is really on the front lines here. And friends, followers of Jesus, church of Jesus, if you aren't on the front lines, if you're not taking your turn on the front lines, sure, you're you're missing out on some of the wounds that are received there. But you're also missing out on the victories, on the glories, on the triumphs of His grace. You see, the message of Acts chapter 9, this is a kingdom preview that that I like. That I want to see. That makes me long for more. I want to see that movie. I want to be part of that movie. I don't want to be just an extra. I want to be a full-on actor and player. Because you know what? The King has come. And that means that the winter that has gripped our world and the winter that has gripped souls is thawing. And I know we all long for spring to come. And spring is coming. It's coming because Jesus brings healing to the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for such a compelling, wonderful vision of what You're doing in the world. Father, we're grateful that we have been like Aeneas and Tabitha. We've been called out of darkness into Your marvelous light. We've been healed. We've been made whole. Now that we are set apart, we want to be used, we want to be poured out as Your church with that vision, and that good news, and that promise undergirding us and carrying us forward. And we know that the promise of Your presence, the promise of Your Spirit, the promise of Your grace is with us. And so we ask that You would show us the way which we should go, for Your glory, for the fame of Your name. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.